0: Ooh, right in the speaker there. Uh, good morning. I hope you can see the new televisions that are installed there. For Can you see that in the back easier? It's a little bigger. The old ones were going out, about to give up the ghost, as the King James says. I want to thank those who helped install it. I don't know if they want to be named or not, but they are in this room. So thank you all uh, for your hard work. It does not go unnoticed. You are very appreciated. All right. Uh, so... First of all, just wanted to give a little Christian love and sympathy to Pam and Todd's family. Amber's family had a loss this week, so you guys be praying for them. It's been a tough week for their family, uh, so that's kind of rough. I remind you, I think Michael said this, we're going to have church cleanup day next week. We're going to be working on the outside. Please try to make that. That would be great. And with all this in mind, let's now, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 17, verses 1 through 10. Luke 17, 1 through 10. It'll be on the screen here to my right and my left. If you don't have a Bible with you, we're working through this and what a joy it is to work through this book, not just to take a passage, what does it say, what does it mean, how does it apply, but to see the grander narrative in the gospel of Luke. Uh, That is just a joy for us as a church as we work through this together. And today uh, we are seeing this passage here. Jesus is talking to the disciples specifically, warning them about the leaven of the Pharisees. And I'm going to be very honest with you, this passage today is not very hard to understand. Uh, You know, what Mark Twain said years ago, it's not the things I don't understand in the Bible that bother me, it's the things I do understand in the Bible that bother me. And so today... This passage is very easy to understand. There's nothing tough about it. It's pretty simple and straightforward. I'll explain a couple of little things here and there, but by and large we know what he's saying. Uh, it's just going to be, but it is kind of hard in its application. So let's look at this together. Here's what Jesus, let's hear the words of Christ. Luke 17, verses 1 through 10. And he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea, then if he should call one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourself. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times, saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, Increase our faith. The Lord said, If you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to the mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me and dress properly, and serve me while I eat and drink. And afterwards you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Amen. May God have blessed in the reading of his holy and infallible word. And I pray he writes this truth in all of your hearts. Because the word of our God. The grass may wither. And the flowers fade, say it with him, you know it. But the Word of our God endures forever. Endures forever. Okay, at first examination of this text in verses 1-10, through it may feel a bit like four random sayings strewn together. But this is not the case. These are actually tethered by one central theme. And that central theme is that they would avoid the leaven of the Pharisees. And the way to do that is to not use the law to their advantage to gain money and to gain power, but rather that they would use the law and see a law even past that law of, the, of Moses and see the law of Christ. It's not so much that his love and forgiveness and the coming of Christ has uh, abolished the law, right? If you get caught speeding and you're sent to court, and the judge there decides that you don't owe any money for the ticket, has he abolished beating laws throughout the land, or has he just shown you mercy, right? He has shown you mercy, he hasn't done away with them altogether. Uh, so Jesus here is help showing them how to sort of fulfill the law, and how to do the law here in these passages, and how to have mercy. ...when it is there. What is the tethering here? What is the thing that we're seeing? Well, in some ways this is, this is why expository preaching is superior to any other form of preaching is because we can see and understand we've been building each week through the Gospel of Luke and we're understanding the meta-narrative, the larger narrative of the Gospel of Luke. And what have we seen Jesus saying here? As What do we know He is doing as He is saying these things? Well, He has set His face towards Jerusalem. He is on His way to be ultimately the great servant of mankind, and to die for our sins. So He is giving us this instruction here in the midst of demonstrating this destruction, of the destruction of the temple that will be built in three days, and in the midst of serving them, right? So Jesus here is not just saying these things, but He is doing these things as He goes, all right? Now, with that in mind, let's now see if we can unpack this. I'm going to sort of break this into four movements and the first one is this. First of all, a servant's actions are never about self. Because this is the call in the passage. We're call to be servants like Jesus. In the verses 1 and 2, a servant's actions are never about self. Let's look at the first verse. And he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come. This is not really shocking. Human beings are actually making decisions. They're living their lives. There, there is a free will element that is there and that is part of that. Uh, And so because that's in the mix, people are exposed and tempted to all kinds of sins. Now, this word temptation here, it is the Greek word from which we get the modern day word scandal. So it's it's not just even just plain old run of the mill sins like I'm snippy with my wife because she's inconvenienced me and I've made about me. But this is actually talking about. Temptations for scandalous sins, right? Where extortion of money and all kinds of scandalous behavior outside the bounds of the covenant of marriage. Things like that are what it's talking about. And my, have I seen in my 20 years of ministry a number of scandals in churches. I have seen them emerge throughout the years. Many of the men who I looked up to when I first started in ministry are now disqualified from ministry because of the scandals that they were involved in, right? But uh, it says here, woe to the one to whom they come. So I said this in the first service. I think I've said this here before. Uh, We're getting to that point of the year, sort of, right? I feel like March is the hokey pokey of all the weather months because it's like we're going to put spring in. We're going to pull spring out. It's going to (laughs) be snowing outside and you turn yourself around. Go right back inside and play another round of whatever your favorite game is. So anyway... That is where we are. So birds are coming out, right? Birds, I could hear all kinds of birds right before the snowstorm came the other day. And uh, here here would be my illustration. So, you know, uh, I was reading and listening to a psychologist recently talking about uh, damaging thoughts that we have. They're just sometimes random damaging thoughts that we have. And everyone has them, okay? So... You know, it's like you're washing dishes at the sink and you suddenly have a thought, what if I just turned around and stabbed the person in the kitchen with me? Like, you sometimes just have these weird random thoughts that happen, right? Uh, everyone has them, just not everyone admits they have them. The psychologist was making this point, okay? In a similar fashion, you know, it's one thing to have a random thought like that while you're cleaning the knife in the sink, right? Right? It's another thing to plot out how you would do it and how you would cover up the murder weapon and all this and that, right? The point being, there's a difference between a bird flying over your head and a bird building a nest on top of your head, right? You can prevent the one, you can't necessarily prevent the other. That happens. So here, verse is saying temptation's gonna come, thoughts are gonna enter your mind, and even people will help plant thoughts that are there, right? There's an old southern kind of um, saying or phrase you done flung a craving on me right you ever heard somebody say that you flung a craving on me what that means is this you talked about some kind of food that i like to eat so now i'm craving that same food right on wednesday night we were talking about hush puppies and some people are like man i'm really craving hush puppies after that maybe you will be too this afternoon maybe i flung a craving on you they're so good aren't they especially when they're first fried right out of the right out of the oil Yeah, now you're plotting, how can I get hush puppies today? See that? That's the the difference. You're building a plan on how to get hush puppies later. And the the Bible's here telling us not to build that plan towards sin. You can build plans for hush puppies, just not towards sin. There you go. All right. Verse 2. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck, and he were cast into the sea, and he should cast one of these little ones into sin. Now... Of course, that's fairly obvious, but I want to expand this over one more room. I didn't really have time to do this in the first service, but I feel I have time to do it here. Uh, In thinking about how servants' actions affects others, all right? Jesus here, I think one of the things we're seeing as he's on this journey towards Jerusalem, of course, first and front and center, this is about the glory of God, and fulfilling God's will joyfully and willingly on Jesus' part. But another thing we're seeing is that Jesus is going to relieve burdens wherever he goes, right? Is that not a hallmark of Jesus' ministry? Does he not go from place to place and help relieve burdens, right? Have we not already seen him do that? Uh, In a similar fashion, we should make this, as we think through our actions as servants, we should be those who are relieving burdens of others, right? Can you see that in the text this morning? Uh, This is a negative this morning, but out of a negative there's a positive, right? So the negative is don't fling sins and temptations on people. Don't put stumbling blocks in their way. Don't make it difficult. Who are the little ones here that he's talking about? I mean sure it could be children, but I think it could be those who are little and small in the faith, who are not yet mature. Jesus knows the church will have varying degrees of faith maturity. So when we come together, those who are mature should not make it difficult On those who are immature, right? Those who are younger in the faith. Uh, Don't do anything that's gonna make them question the reality of Jesus and the salvation that Christ offers, right? So, when we think about this in particular, I think something for our time, this is a direct application from this point, is our online presence and persona, right? Some of you may not think about that very much, but what you post online has ramifications for other people. You may not say anything that is inherently wrong. You may actually say something that is right. And I hear all the time about Epic, Facebook, Twitter, and all different kinds of battles. We've got to be careful, right? We may say the right thing, but it may be said in such a way with a harshness to it that it becomes a stumbling block for those who don't know Christ or those who are weak and immature in the faith. And we may have to come back and say, listen, I'm sorry, I, didn't, I, I don't necessarily disbelieve or unbelieve what I said but I think I could have been a little more Christ-like in how I said that and how I addressed that. Do you see what I'm saying? Sometimes folks need that kind of help. We need to be called to a law of love that is higher and not just hold to the law. Uh, Not using your freedom to loyed it over, you know, those who may be younger and struggling. Uh, Disciples are to be considerate of others that are around them and make it a Make it a commitment today to be one like Christ who is seeking to relieve the burdens of those who are around you, not to increase the burdens of those who are around you. People are hurting, man. They're hurting. All kinds of people are hurting for a lot of different reasons. And so we want to help them with that and not make it harder on them if we can do so. And that requires humility, and that requires sometimes showing sorrow to people, That requires kind of rephrasing things and that requires, you know, sometimes being gentle with truth and not always harsh and bold. Um, You know, everybody in here should be a fan of shampooing your hair, right? There's very, I use this illustration in my Sunday school class. Sometimes uh, you need a stronger shampoo. You know, if you've got somebody with a diseased head and they've got to have, they've got lice on their hair, they're going to need a very strong shampoo. And if you get it in the eyes, it's going to sting. But sometimes you need to use baby shampoo, right? Baby shampoo will clean somebody's hair just as effectively. assuming so, I mean, it doesn't have, it's not full of lice or anything like that that needs a special medicated kind. Baby shampoo will clean hair just as good as most over-the-counter shampoos, herbal essences, or main and tail. You remember that shampoo from years ago? that My grandmother loved that shampoo. It'll clean it just as well. So we want to be a people who are marked by that. Um, all right move on second part here verses three and four here's so that part's kind of hard but we can do it we can kind of swallow that pill here's where it's going to start getting hard it's going to start getting harder here for us all right and you know like one older gentleman said in my first church the plain things are the main things in scripture and this is very plain to you this morning this means exactly what it says all right so don't get this twisted up pay attention to yourselves all right here we go here we go all right how many of you have flown on an airplane before? Raise your hand if you've ever flown on an airplane. There's always that time where it's a, everyone please direct your attention to the front, middle there, the stewardess. will now give you instructions in the event that this plane should go down, which is a big confidence builder whenever you get on a plane, right? <laughs> they, you would, uh, they would tell you what to do when the plane goes down in flames, right? And they tell you that when, the, when the mask release, and they drop the mask like it would be dropped from the, you know, thing, they tell you, turn around and put the air mask, the oxygen mask on your child first and then put it on yourself, right? What do they tell you? Put the oxygen mask on who? Yourself first and then what? Oh, okay. So let's read this passage again. Clearly it says, pay attention to your worship leader and the mistakes that he makes. Pay attention to your pastor and every mistake he makes. Pay attention to your youth pastor, your next gym pastor And everything he does wrong. Pay attention to your deacons and your Sunday school teachers, for they often mess up, right? (laughs) What does it say? Pay attention to who? Yourself first, right? So, anytime we're going in for a rebuke, anytime we have to do this kind of a thing, first thing we gotta do is we gotta take inventory of where we are and what we have done to contribute to a particular situation, how we have made it rough and hard and difficult on others, and we need to take and own those burdens on the front end we got to do that first, right? Uh, somebody said at the end of Sunday school this morning, it dovetails so well, it's always best to pull your water in the pool first, right? Before you ask somebody else to. And I thought that was a pretty good analogy. Then he goes on to say, If your brother sins, rebuke him. So the first section of Scripture dealt with your sin and what you're doing. But, some, but you don't just live in a world where you sin. You live in a world where people sin against you. And so what do you do when people sin against you? The Bible tells you a few things. Uh, of course, this primarily, I think, speaks to Christians. And there's more instruction in Matthew 18. You can read that later, and also other areas. By the way, we're going through Rediscover Church on Sunday night. Really encourage you to be a part of that if you're not part of the Sunday night Bible study group. Uh, it's going really well. We we're just talking about Matthew 18 and how to deal with it. it. Says here, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. Right? And that word, rebuke, right, to sort of call out to. You know, it means exactly what it says. You rebuke somebody, you're, you're telling them the sin that you see in their life. Now, let me say this. You don't have to, there are varying degrees of rebuke, right? So if you get a sunburn, there's various degrees of treatment, right? You can, you can have a sunburn that's going to call for antibiotics and for doctors to take that very seriously, and you're going to have to do weeks and weeks of therapy with medicated Type of a lotion on your body. So you have very strong rebukes, similar to that. And you have very light rebukes. You could just break off a piece of aloe and just spread it on there and you can move forward. See? So rebukes can have various degrees. We see this model in the New Testament, right? Paul says to the church in Corinth, I've already passed judgment on this individual. So he's very harsh with that one particular one. And then there are other places where Paul is a little bit less bold and not as harsh with his rebukes. So when you're rebuking somebody, one thing you need to think is, do I need to go harsh and hard here or do I need to be more gentle here? Remember the shampoo. Baby shampoo works too. Just as good as regular shampoo. You just got to decide what kind you need there. And if he repents, what's it say? Forgive him. Now this might be a little confusing because there's some who teach in the church that you can just forgive people without ever having a conversation with them. And there's some who teach that you have to have a conversation with them. And who's right? And the answer is yes. (laughs) To some degree they're both right. right? So let me see if I can explain this difference real quick. And then we'll move forward and, and bring a little clarity with the next verse. There is a difference between preparing the heart for forgiveness and the transaction of forgiveness. right? This is demonstrated in the Gospel. The Word of God tells us it is God's will that... None should perish, right? So how many does Jesus want to see come to salvation? Everybody, right? So his heart is ready to forgive everyone on the planet, right? Do you see that? But in Revelation, when we see the great white throne judgment, does everybody go to heaven? No. So God's heart's ready to forgive, but not everybody goes to heaven. How do we rectify this? Well, how do you receive that grace and mercy, and how do you receive a restored relationship with God? You have to have the transaction of forgiveness, right? You have to ask for forgiveness. You, you know, the Bible's made it very clear. It, we have been rebuked from the law, right? And that what the law does, does it not rebuke us? Does it not tell us of our shortcomings and sin? What we're learning here is that uh, we have to have a transaction in order for a relationship to be restored. But sometimes in East Tennessee, we don't like to do that. We don't like to rebuke people. And, and can I get in your kitchen a little bit this morning and be a little ugly about thoughts we have sometimes? We're not going to like this, but this is the truth. Sometimes we don't want to forgive people. We don't want to get our hearts ready to forgive people. Okay, This is a struggle. And I'm going to be honest with you and tell you, I struggle with this as well. I think everybody struggles with this. Okay, So what does this look like? Well, it looks like this. We want to hold on to a wrong somebody has done to us And holding on to it, it's the equivalent of holding on to a hot coal from a fire, hoping it burns the other person. But what's it doing? It's only burning ourselves, isn't it? It's like, we wouldn't audibly say this, but this is what we're doing theologically whenever we don't forgive others. It's like we're holding on to whatever wrong has been done to us so that when we get to the great white throne judgment, which is the final judgment of humanity, and everybody's in line. They all got to stand before Christ, and there'll be no lies or anything. We're holding on to this grudge here. We're standing in line. We're holding on to it with this person, whoever it is. And we stand before Jesus, and we say, "All right, here it is, Jesus. Here's everything they did wrong to me. Get them, right." And we want Jesus to be like, "Well, that's horrible. Look at all these things. This is terrible." I don't know what we expect them to do, turn them into a newt or something. I don't know what we're expecting. But deep down, this is what we're doing when we're hanging on to hurt. Sometimes forgiveness prematurely is not healthy and good. In addition to that, though, we've got to have a heart that's ready to forgive. Now, I would argue that if you don't ever have a conversation with somebody, particularly deep hurts that are very costly then there's a broken relationship that's there that can't be mended apart from a conversation about forgiveness. But if it's something that you can let go of in three days, let's use I call it my three-day rule. You can let go of it in three days, you can kind of forgive them and move on, right? You don't necessarily have to have a conversation about every little thing. All right, look at verse, look at verse number four. Now if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, now let's, all right, it means exactly what it says. Okay? It means exactly what it says. What's this verse dealing with? This verse is dealing with insincerity in this transaction. What if you're having the transaction of repentance and it feels insincere to you? What's the verse say to do? What's it say, church? It's not a trick question. What's it say? You forgive anyway. Because at that point, it's not between you and them. It becomes an issue between them and the Lord. Right? Right? So you forgive anyway. And can I say something? I don't often feel like doing this. Can we be honest about it? When you have had somebody tell you multiple times, please forgive me for this, I'm sorry, and deep down something within you is like wailing and screaming, this is not sincere, they're just trying to do this to get me off their back and stop rebuking them, I don't feel like doing verse 4. Uh, What do you do when you don't feel like it, right? Well, the disciples clearly understand this, and I think that's why we have verse 5. Look what he says. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Because here is the reality of Scripture. You can't do verse 4 without faith. It can't be done. We will sink into the mire of bitterness and self-righteousness all day. We'll sink into it. I think of that movie, The NeverEnding Story. Have you all ever seen that movie before? Raise your hand if you've seen that movie. How many of you cried when a trail's horse sank in the muck and mire? I know you did. Don't lie about it. If you've seen the movie, you cried when a trail's horse died, right? That's us, man, in that bog of self-righteousness and bitterness apart from faith and help in Christ, Okay. You know what self-righteousness is? It, It is that elder brother attitude that we've already seen in the Gospel of Luke, right? It is wanting to have a claim on who the Father says can have grace and mercy and forgiveness and who the Father says can't have it. And we don't have that right, right? We don't have that right. All right, so a servant is what? According to Jesus here, a servant is... Uh, doing actions that know it's not about self. A servant in verses 3 and 4 knows their feelings are not about self. And then verses 5 and 6, a servant's faith is never about self. The faith is never about self. You know, as a, I wish we could do lawsuits as preachers. Like we could sue other preachers for like malpractice of the faith. I've got a bunch of lawsuits I would love to issue out. I'm, I'm uh, talking specifically about health, wealth, and prosperity preachers, where they're teaching people that if you just have enough faith, you can you can change and manipulate whatever you want. You can have money, you can have health, you can have people do what you need them to do. The New Testament does not teach that. It does not teach that at all. Okay. There are certainly blessings for following Christ. But if you're following Christ to manipulate your environment, you don't understand the gospel. You don't understand it. Okay? Look at verse 6. The Lord said, If you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, that's a very, by the way, is anybody here a farmer, anybody ever planted a mustard seed? They're very small. And their plants grow very big. can help... A bunch of birds that can sit on, very something very small that becomes very big, right? We've also seen this analogy with the kingdom of God. And you could say this mulberry tree. Now, I'm not an expert in trees. I don't claim to be one. Uh, I did not study that in school. So I consulted the, the absolute epitome of the best resources for this sermon called Wikipedia <clears throat> and learned about mulberry trees. Yeah, I know. But I I think that on this issue of the mulberry tree, this is probably right. Their root system is vast, from what I gather and understand. And so to uproot a mulberry tree is no small feat, right? So what are we learning here? Well, we're learning here that in this passage, it's not so much about having faith but it's about the object of the faith, right? And the object of the faith in this passage is meant to be in Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And with that as the object, many things are possible. Not because of you, not because you have such a great faith, but the faith that we are given is meant to constantly point us back to Christ. And here's one of the most comforting things I think I find in this passage. In fact, I think I shared it with somebody this week. I want you to think about this. It just takes a little faith and you have the whole Christ. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that a beautiful thought? Let me say that again, because I thought that would get an amen. I'm going to say it again. Somebody in the room say amen, okay? just takes a little faith, and you get the whole Christ. That's right, that's right, yeah? That is encouraging to me, because there are times when I feel like my faith is fleeting and struggling. And I, I am reminded here in this passage, I have the whole Christ. So a servant's feelings are not about self. A servant's faith is not about self, but about Christ. And faith gets the whole Christ. question is today, who is your faith anchored in? You know, we're all kind of chasing something in faith. Somebody asked me once, why are you not an atheist? I don't have that kind of faith to be an atheist, right? I don't, I don't have what it takes to put my, uh, put my faith in randomness to that degree. We're all chasing after something and it will call for sacrifice. It will cause us to serve it. And so we have to ask, what are we chasing? Which brings us to our closing point here, verses 7 and 9 what it says here "When any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he's coming from the field come at once and recline at table so this is very much a simple scene where you've got hired hands that are, that are brought in to help work the family farm does the owner of the family farm whenever the workman who's been assigned his task for the day and he comes in all dirty and nasty say alright go ahead come on in here and sit down at the table and eat supper with us usually not right the servant can usually go on and eat dinner in his own house. He's not interested in having him eat in the same room with him. Verse 8, We Will he not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink? So it even goes further. Jesus says the servant's duties are not even always necessarily over from tending the field all day. they got to come in, prepare the meal for the master, uh, the owner of the of the property and the land, and help him even get dressed. Look at what this verse tells us here right says here and afterwards you will eat and drink you know so is is the is the kind of master we're talking about here going to be somebody who's going to that you're going to serve and then they're going to tell you to serve them and be a servant but then at the end of all that they're going to tell you to go ahead and make the meal for them and it even gives an instruction here in verse let's see verse number eight help me to tells here Will he not rather say, uh, prepare supper for me and dress properly? This verse kind of caught me. Um, this verse, that verb in, in Greek only appears six times in the New Testament. Three of them are in the Gospel of Luke. If you want to flip back and see it, you can see it in Luke twelve 35. I'm not going to go back there because of the time. You can just mark it in your Bible. And look at it for later. But there, dressing, you've got a note in your Bible, should say girding yourself, girding up your lawns to prepare. And another way of saying it here. So what what are we talking about here? Well, we're talking here about the type of servant that Jesus is. And that, that model is meant to be for us. A servant's work is never really about self either. So think about this, what Jesus is telling us. His actions are never about self in the first part. It was stated in a negative way, but that's what he meant. A servant's feelings are never about self. We have to do oftentimes what we need to do, whether we feel like it or not. A servant's faith is never about self. And then finally, a servant's work is never about self. Verse 7-9, a servant works all day. The servant, And what, what do you think that the servant should expect when he comes in? He's done all of his chores for the day. Should he expect the, the master and the owner to tell him, Good job or thank Him? Not necessarily, right? How many people you think thank Jesus for healing them? There's not a high track record, is there, for people who are gracious and thankful for that? Uh, in addition to that, when we serve other people, if we're serving other people with an expectation of a thank you, we're not getting what service is all about. In fact... You should never expect people to thank you for serving the Lord. That should not be an expectation. I think it's wonderful when people do it, and I'm very gracious and happy to to receive that thank you. In some ways, that's better than any kind of monetary gift I can receive as a pastor. Although, don't stop the monetary gifts, right? I'm not telling you to do that, but you know, anyway. In, In this passage, though, dressed with the belt of truth, right? Jesus here, it's not just one who expects and doesn't give, but who models. Who What kind of master is this? Who before the, the last supper takes the towel and the basin and washes the feet of his servants. No master of the field does that. Right? Question what is your master like? The master you're chasing like? Is he one who will take the, the towel and the basin and wash your feet? Or will it always demand more from you? Whether that is a trying to figure out your place in your family, whether you're chasing a job and a position at work, whenever you're chasing uh, whatever it may be, you fill in the blank, right? I've never seen careers stand up and speak at a funeral. It's never happened one time. But I have seen family and I have seen church family do that, right? Jesus here, another thing we see, He dresses Himself Most of the time in the ancient world here if they had to gird up the loins and put that on and get dressed and ready, have their servants help them. Here Jesus does the dressing. Jesus prepares the feast and Jesus invites the servants in to recline at table with Him and enjoy the feast that He has at His table. When we have done everything God expects of us, He lets the servants come in. You know, I've been thinking about this passage all week long. and this Last verse kind of haunts me. Verse 9, or verse 10. This is where the title of the sermon comes from. So also, when you have done all these things that you were commanded, and of course, the direct reference here is the Pharisees trying, we've done the law, we've kept the law. Not understanding the law of love, not understanding that God's after the heart, and not just the action, not getting that at all, right? Here's what he says to, to them. We are, what's it say, Church. Unworthy servants, we have only done what was our duty. I want you to think about this this morning. I've thought about this. My closing illustration to help you with this. Why are you serving the Lord? What kind of servant are you? By some miracle of the one true and living God, let's pretend... Let's enter a fantasy world of pretend with me for just a second. Let's pretend right now at 11.01 a.m., or I guess it's 12.01 a.m., right? i got a whole nother hour to preach to you guys. <laughs> Praise God. You know, some people say Baptists don't believe in daylight savings time because we saved that hour last year and once saved, always saved. I didn't hit as good in this service. It was funnier in the first one. Anyway, some of you will get it later. Uh, so let's pretend for a minute. Enter this fantasy world with me. We're at twelve o two now. God grants me ability to no longer be sinful. So I'm no longer short tempered with my kids. I'm no longer, you know, sinful in my comings and goings at work or at the bank or wherever it may be. I can live from this point until the day I die in sinless, perfect obedience to the one true and living God. That's not reality, but let's pretend for a minute, okay? if I were able to do that till I reached the ripe old age of 85, 95, 100, if God allowed me to do that, did you know at the end of my life this statement in verse 10 would still be true? I am an unworthy servant of the one true and living God. Even with 40, 50 years of sinless perfection given, I am still an unworthy servant. And then pastor, why servant? I don't serve Him because I'm trying to manipulate or get something. I don't serve Him because I want wealth and prosperity. I don't serve Him because it's going to save me. It's not. Certainly it's not. I serve Him because my heart delights in being near the Father. Because my heart delights in loving the things He loves and detesting the things He detests. I serve Him Because he first served me and he first loved me, right? And I want nothing more than to be with him forever. I'm chasing him, I'm embracing him. What about you? What about you? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this text this morning. Lord, truly we are an an unworthy people, unworthy servants. God, we... We too many times serve not from hearts that are thankful, but rather from hearts that are thankless. We serve not to be near you and in your house, but like the elder brother, we serve to receive heaven and to receive crowns on our head, to receive recognition from peers. Lord, we oftentimes love you and serve you so that we can control the situation around us, foolishly thinking we can. Lord, lay us bare and open today before you. May we come to an end of ourselves in this message this morning, this sermon, this text. May we be pushed to be true servants, not looking for thank yous, not looking for changes our way, but just looking for you, Lord. Help us in this endeavor. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. You're here this morning. You feel the call of Christ. You've never had that forgiveness that we've talked about, that, that forgiveness of sin. Won't you come to Him now? Or maybe you're here today, and there is a relationship that is just hard for you. You need help for your heart to get ready to forgive, or you need help to get ready to rebuke and try to rectify that situation. I'm happy to pray with you in the back as we sing. Please stand.